In the year 395, the Roman military made an enormous blunder when it refused to promote the Gothic general Alaric to a position that he had desired and frankly deserved within the ranks of the Roman legions. As a result, Alaric would later go on to, well, sack the city of Rome, bring the Western Roman Empire to an end. It did not have to be this way. The Romans knew for a long, long time that Alaric and his kin were a bit of an issue. You see, the Romans had an enormous immigration assimilation problem. They were letting in hordes of Goths and Vandals and Franks in order to help defend the empire against other Germanic tribes that were less, well, civilized than those that they let in. Alaric was the greatest of these Gothic warrior commanders, perhaps only surpassed by Flavius Stilicho, who himself was only half Germanic, but was the highest-ranking German ever in the Roman military. He was made Magister Militum for the Roman army for a while, the highest rank that they could give. You see, Alaric wanted a similar position over at least one of the Roman provinces, but he wasn't getting it. He thought his best chance was after the death of the Emperor Theodosius. See, there was a strong prejudice against the Germanics. They kept them organized in tribal structures. They didn't let them fully integrate into the legions for the most part. And when it came time to battle, it was the Germanic mercenaries, these German semi-legions that formed the front lines on the idea that, well, if we just let them die a whole bunch, there'll be less of a problem. You see, the Romans ignored this issue for quite some time. They refused to deal with the integration problem. The Romans could get past their prejudices and integrate these Germanic tribes the way they had every other group that they had conquered. Well, then the Roman Empire would be on the course for even greater glory. There had not been an emperor born in Rome in over 200 years by this point. The Illyrians, the Syrians, the Egyptians, everyone had gotten a go at the imperial throne. Why not a Germanic? Well, prejudice is a hard thing to beat. And once you think you understand a problem, you typically don't change course unless you're absolutely forced to. The Romans are going to be absolutely forced to. You see, Alaric is going to get so irritated that he can't get a promotion to general within the normal legions, that he's going to have himself declared king of his own Gothic tribe, the Visigoths. And then he's going to march on Rome and burn it three times, thus leading to the beginning of the end for the Roman Empire. It seems that even when there's an enormous problem that's staring you in the face, and you know it's going to happen multiple times, I mean, Alaric sacks the city once, and then he backs off. And then he sacks it again, making more demands. And then he backs off. And then the third time, he basically destroys the city. But the Romans really couldn't figure out that this problem was going to keep repeating over and over, even though they had generations to deal with this, constantly figuring out that these problems are going to happen again and again and again until they finally deal with the number of guns in the United States of America. Crap. Now this is the show. Welcome 
pure Republican in exile, a half-hour exercise in self-torture, where I, your biblically doomed host, attempts to wade through another week of shrapnel that fires out of Washington like, well, nothing out of nothing. There's no analogy that exists for how rapidly terrible things fire out of Washington. Nope. None. None that anyone can ever think of. Uh, I'm Matthew Hedge, and this week we're going over a series of horrors and other terrible events that have left me oh so frustrated and caused me to drink heavily. Speaking of which, this week, uh, I'm torturing myself by consuming Budweiser. Oh god. Oh, why do people drink these things? I don't know. Uh, I want to stop, but it's the only thing I bought. Oh, God, that's bad. Anyway, the song you are valiantly attempting to ignore in the background is Accentuate the Positive by Johnny Mercer originally, but recorded here by Perry Coma. Why did I go with the Coma version? Because I can. I can do whatever I want. I'm an American. That's the whole point, isn't it? Isn't it? If this is your first time listening, once upon a time I was a Republican, and then they elected Donald Trump, and now I'm not. Because I couldn't. I just couldn't. Have you seen what's going on? I couldn't. (laughs) Every week I try and go over a list of things that made me angry, picking off with an outrage of the week, and then we go over some good news and uh, try and pick out a way for you to look smart. You know what, let's just get to it, because the song's ending, and I need to finish these beers. Oh, God. Harvey Weinstein, superstar producer of many, many film classics, including Shakespeare in Love and other things that didn't deserve to get nominated for an Oscar, has been accused of repeated sexual harassment and assault over a course of decades, leading to his removal from his own company. Literally, his name is on the company. It's the Weinstein Company, and they've now removed the Weinstein from it, meaning that it should now be the company which sounds vaguely Orwellian and might be appropriate. This is a long history of assault for Weinstein. I've got a list here that I've put together of every accusation that we have that's credible uh, for quite some time. Let's see here. Uh, Early 1980s, a woman named Jessica Leeds claimed that she was groped on a flight by him. She was sitting next to him. Um, He raised the armrest, separating them, and he grabbed her breasts and tried to put his hands up on her skirt, saying, quote, "...he was like an octopus. His hands were everywhere." In 1989, his first wife said that she claimed she was violated during uh, intimate relations, claiming that having intercourse with him was frequently violent, like an attack. Uh, In the early 1990s, a woman named Kristen Anderson claimed that he went up to her and grabbed her genitals. In 1993, a makeup artist named Jill Harth accused him of attempted rape, claiming that he cornered her in his daughter's bedroom while she was out of town. In 1997, several teen... Miss USA contestants said that he walked in on them while they were dressing backstage, even though they were underage, saying, don't worry, ladies, I've seen it all before. He went on the Howard Stern radio show to brag about his sexual contacts, including um, some forcible touching. In 1997, a woman named Temple Taggart McDowell said he tried to forcibly kiss her. In 2003, a woman named Mindy McGillivray claimed that he groped her at the Mar-a-Lago. In 2005, Rachel Cooks claimed that he forcibly kissed her at Trump Tower. In 2005... Wait a minute. Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's the list of people that have accused Donald Trump of sexually molesting them. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got them confused. But hey, 
One of his accusers, one we have not mentioned yet, named Summer Zervos, has subpoenaed the Trump Organization, the former Trump campaign, for all documentation about Donald Trump's attempted defense of his actions. So who knows, maybe with all of this new information coming out, we'll get some sort of massive wave of people demanding something be done about the fact that we have a man in such a high position of authority that has been accused over and over and over again of, uh, you want to know what, nothing's going to happen. The man is Teflon, nothing sticks to him. He's going to get away with everything. Everything is awful. The vice president went to a football game, stayed for about 10 minutes, and then left which makes him like every person I've ever known to go to a baseball game. You see, Vice President Pence went to a game of the Indianapolis Colts, his hometown team, decided that he was offended by players kneeling during the national anthem, and stormed out in a huff in what the media described as a staged event. Of course it was a staged event. The kneeling was also staged. These individuals are trying to make political points. I get a little bit frustrated at the attacks on Mike Pence on this one. Mike Pence is making a political statement just like those players were. Of course, Mike Pence is a toady spineless buffoon, but he does have the same right to have his political views known as everyone else. What he doesn't have the right to do is spend taxpayer money on it. Mike Pence spent an awful lot of taxpayer money flying to Indianapolis and then back to Los Angeles, where he was hanging out for a little while, and then you know, flying back to Washington, D.C. So uh, I think perhaps the vice president owes the American people quite a lot of money. Then again, not quite as much as the president of the United States, who is currently at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey, for the 79th time of his presidency. Remember when he used to complain about Barack Obama going golfing, which was a legitimate complaint. President Obama golfed too much. Of course, President Obama's golfing makes Donald Trump's golfing, you know, look like more listen it can't all be gems it can't be on all the time oh it's awful Ugh. let's keep going here's a headline i read this week and i'm going to quote it directly and that's all i'm going to say about the issue quote potential senate candidate kid rock fires back at eminem for his anti-president trump freestyle rap unquote this is a bad world we live in Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State, apparently called Donald Trump a fucking moron in private. We talked about this previously, but we now apparently know what that was in reference to. Donald Trump apparently asked Tillerson, Mattis, and General Kelly, his chief of staff, to look into ways to expand America's nuclear arsenal, which is dumb. It, it is fucking stupid. We have enough nuclear weapons to destroy the, this planet about 300 times, us and the Russians, I don't think we actually need any more nuclear weapons. Now, we could use a refurbishment on our nuclear weapons. They are still running on the same software they were in the 70s, which is terrifying. But, hey, building more nukes, that's not going to lead to problems at all, right? Now, the president has, of course, categorically denied that he said this, said the NBC News Network made all of this information up. It's not real. They're just as bad as those bastards over at CNN. Of course, on the 22nd of December, 2016, Donald Trump did tweet out, The United States must greatly strengthen and expand its nuclear capability until such time as the world comes to its senses regarding nukes. I don't know what that means, but it certainly means he was considering at least expanding our nuclear arsenal in 2016. Then again... You can't believe everything the president says. At least that's according to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the president's press secretary, who more than once in the last week decided to announce that, well, you can't actually trust what the president says. Or at least you can't trust what you think the president said, because the president didn't say 
what you think the president says. In an exchange with a reporter for the One America Network, which is about as crazy right-wing as a news network gets, Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, countered that the president didn't say something the president said. You see, last week, Donald Trump claimed that America was the highest taxed nation in the world. This is a claim he's been repeating since the campaign. This is not true. America is not the highest taxed nation in the world. When Trey Yingst of One America News decided to question Sarah Huckabee Sanders about this, Sarah Huckabee Sanders says, yes, we are the highest corporate taxed nation in the world. That's a fact. But that's not what Donald Trump said which is what, well, the reporter countered. And she said, well, that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about corporate taxes. But he didn't say corporate taxes. He just said taxes and keeps repeating just taxes when questioned about it. Sarah Huckabee Sanders denied that any such thing happened and then moved on with the briefing saying, we're just going to have to agree to disagree about the nature of reality. Fun times for everyone involved. I'm going to need to open another one of these. I get better the more you drink. I really do. Sticking with the president, now and forever, Donald Trump said to a group of reporters it was frankly disgusting that the press was able to write whatever it wants to write, which is a direct assault on the First Amendment, and the president was rightly called out for this. Donald Trump doesn't so much understand what the Constitution says, or the limits of his job, or where the country is. This week he also claimed he talked to the president of the Virgin Islands, even though America owns the Virgin Islands, so... Donald Trump is the president of the Virgin Islands. He talked to their governor, but he doesn't actually know how anything in the government functions or the basic responsibilities of his job. He auditioned for a reality TV show role, and he won the position because the other candidate was really boring and wasn't very good at attacking him, mostly because, well, the biggest attack on him is that he was a slimy, creepy, vaguely corrupt sexual assaulter, and Hillary Clinton couldn't attack Donald Trump on those grounds because, you know... That's her husband. Yeah, more drinking. Donald Trump visited Puerto Rico to hand out some paper towels, which he really loved doing. He said that there was a great crowd. It was incredible. People were cheering because he arrived with food for them. But they really loved having him there with the food and the supplies. As I speak, more than half the island still is without power or clean drinking water. They're estimating upwards of 500 people are already dead and more will die. This is a commonwealth of the United States of America. This is an island that has been a part of the United States of America since the Spanish-American War. And we have done essentially as much as we would do for someone we weren't super fond of who tripped in the street we offered them a hand and if they slipped and fell again well we're real late for work so we're just gonna we're gonna run i have no idea why puerto rico would want to stay a part of the united states of america after this what have we actually done for them we've allowed their debt crisis to languish and now we're allowing their people to die i am a huge advocate of puerto rican statehood i don't think that happens now I think the next time there's a political issue between us and Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico tries to, you know, bail out, which is bad for America. Successionism is generally bad. It encourages other people like the South to think, hey, maybe we can go our own way again. The federal government's response to this has been below abysmal. It's made Hurricane Katrina look like a well-done soiree that was fully planned and did involve people drowning to death. It's been... Horrifying. The only reason this hasn't been on the news every single night is, well, because Puerto Rico's very far away. And all of the fun media personalities, they live here in New York. Driving to Louisiana, 
easy. Driving to Texas, easy. Driving to Florida, easy. Getting on a boat to Puerto Rico when they have no power? Uh, Anderson Cooper's going to stay right here. Thank you very much. Those lazy CNN person. What's that? Anderson Cooper is currently in Puerto Rico. I picked literally the only one that's there. Well, crap. Uh, good job, Anderson Cooper. Yay! Well, I can say by the old clock on the wall that it's time for a word from our sponsors. Please, don't go away. I've got two of them now. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, they're both bad. Moving on. And thus we come to the outrage of the week. How many times does Alaric have to sack Rome before we realize there's a problem? Well, at least once more, as we've had another mass shooting. The 2017 Las Vegas shooting has surpassed the previous record holder, the 2016 Orlando mass shooting, as the largest mass shooting perpetrated by a lone individual in United States history. It seems like every year, America is just getting better at this. Because you want to know what? We are Americans. And if you're going to do something, you might as well do it right. And we're getting better and better and better at these mass shootings. The target was the Route 91 Harvest Music Festival. The place was the Las Vegas Strip in Paradise, Nevada. Technically not in Las Vegas. Nobody knows this, but the Las Vegas Strip is technically not in the city of Las Vegas. It's a separate area for tax and, well, legal purposes. Stephen Paddock of Mesquite, Nevada, fired hundreds of rounds from his hotel room in the Mandalay Bay Hotel down onto the crowd. He killed 58 people and wounded another 546 of them. This is not a small event. He managed to turn a semi-automatic rifle into a essentially fully automatic rifle in order to fire around 9 rounds per second for over 500 rounds a minute. In order to fire the number of bullets he did, he had to outfit multiple rifles with these modifications, which were all perfectly legal. It wasn't legal to use the modifications, but it was legal to buy the modifications, which means, shock of all shocks, he had the modifications. 23 guns were found in his hotel room, 23, most of which he purchased and modified within the last couple of weeks. This was a well-planned-out event. As part of this, he tried to blow up several containers of jet fuel behind the Harvest Festival near the airport. The only thing more disturbing than this crime is the fact that we still don't know why he did it. I mean, ISIS tried to claim responsibility, but if I stubbed my toe in my living room right now, ISIS might try and claim responsibility for it. Other than the fact that Stephen Paddock was a inveterate gambler, and had a bit of a Vicodin problem. We don't know a heck of a lot about him, except for, you know, the fact that he killed 58 people and wounded over 500 others before taking his own life, an event that President Trump said was a miracle. He said it was a miracle that the event was stopped as quickly as it was by the police. Of course, it wasn't stopped by the police. It was stopped by Stephen Paddock shooting himself in the head. Since the Sandy Hook school shooting, over 150,000 Americans have been killed by a gun. The majority of those are suicides or accidents. Of those 150,000 gun-related deaths, 1,754 of them took place in mass shootings, that is to say, single instances that killed four or more people. Nearly one a day since Sandy Hook. Nearly one mass shooting a day since the Sandy Hook school shooting. 
After that event, President Obama gave a, an emotional speech, he cried a little bit, talking about our need for stronger gun control to keep guns out of the hands of those who might do us harm. After that speech, Donald Trump, then private citizen Donald Trump, tweeted out that President Obama spoke for me and every American in his remarks in Newton, Connecticut. Donald Trump supported stronger gun control. In a book written in 2000, not by him, but under his name, prepping himself for a 2000 reform candidate run for president, he said we needed stronger gun control, longer waiting periods, more background checks. Trump has been in support of gun control in the past, so why is nothing getting done right now? There's three little letters that explain it all. Give me an N. Give me an R. Give me an A. That's right. It's the National Rifle Association. The NRA is the most powerful, most effective lobbying group in the United States of America. They make the AARP look like the Sierra Club. A joke that you're not going to get unless you pay close attention to lobbying groups. But you know what they say, a joke you have to explain is an awesome joke. The NRA endorsed Donald Trump earlier in the presidential election cycle than any candidate in NRA history. Once upon a time, the NRA was not the monolithic lobbying organization it was. It was founded as a firearms training organization. After the Civil War, a group of Union generals, led by our dear friends Ambrose Burnside, decided that the American military couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with a gun, that we did not know how to sharpshoot. So they created an organization to privately train people on how to shoot. In the case of another civil war, we'd be able to kill off the Southerners that much faster. Oh, irony of ironies. The NRA doesn't start getting political until 1975, until they established the Institute for Legislative Action, the NRAILA, the lobbying arm of the NRA. And then in 1976, they created the Political Victory Fund, the NRA's very own PAC, Political Action Committee. The NRA spreads money around like I put cream cheese on my bagel, which is to say, entirely too much. But you know what? The donations they make to individual candidates and money they spend on television advertising isn't really the big power of the NRA. The power of the NRA is in its membership. The majority of the money from the NRA actually comes from its members, from small donors. The rest come from, you know, gun manufacturers. But the majority of it comes from small donors because the people who are members of the NRA care about a single issue, and that is their right to own a gun. 78% of Americans own no guns. And the overwhelming majority of guns are owned by just 3% of Americans. 300 million of them. <laughs> 300 million guns. <laughs> Why do we need that many? I don't know. Because we want to? Why do I need to eat so many donuts? Why do I need to talk so much? I'm allowed to, so I'm going to. If you uh, give someone enough rope, eventually they will hang 58 other people with it. The NRA's members are highly concentrated in a small number of districts, meaning that they have an inordinate amount of power over Republican primaries. You know, like the ones that made Donald Trump the Republican nominee for president, and then eventually the president without winning a majority of the popular vote. And why do people love these guns so much? Well, number one, guns are fun. Have you ever shot a gun before? I have. And let me tell you, they're fun. I know that's inappropriate to say after all of the murders that have taken place, but guns really are fun. They make you feel like a, like a big, powerful man, you know, like you could kill other people, like their lives are in your hands. 
you know, it's fun to shoot at the target, blow up a watermelon, shoot big guns, little guns, lots of guns. They're fun. The other thing that they do is they act as a cultural signifier. They separate the gun lovers from the big city, puffy, swishy liberals that everybody just loves to hate. Guns are a cultural signifier, and considering our politics are now divided on tribalist cultural lines, they are the major wedge issue that can be used in a lot of districts against the Democrats. Since 1994, since the assault weapon ban under the Clinton administration, the NRA has been killing the Democrats with this issue. If you were a Democratic incumbent in the South and the Midwest, and you weren't pro-gun and anti-abortion, you were going to get the snot kicked out of you over the last 20 years of American politics. If you could hold on to those two things, you were probably safe. But here's something where the NRA is absolutely 100% correct. The NRA likes to point out every time after there's a mass shooting, all they like to talk about is how all of the proposals before Congress wouldn't have stopped that shooting. And they're right. Most of the proposals right now before Congress wouldn't have stopped Stephen Paddock from killing a whole bunch of people in Las Vegas. Would he have killed fewer people? Absolutely. But would he have still killed people? Yeah, he would have. The proposals to extend background checks. There was nothing in Stephen Paddock's background that would have left the FBI to not allow him to buy 23 guns. There were no laws on the books that prevented him from doing that, and there was no laws currently proposed that would prevent him from doing that, because if you would try and stop someone from buying a gun, well, that would be a clear violation of the Second Amendment, which is why I am now on the record going to call for a repeal of the Second Amendment. I am now unelectable, completely unelectable in the United States of America. Not even Democrats can get away with saying that. Ask yourself when any member of the Democratic Party has actually caused for seizing mass quantities of weapons or limiting the number of weapons a person can own. I think owning guns is fine, particularly if you live in the middle of nowhere. If a bear is going to attack you, you should probably own a gun. If you live in a city, uh, you probably shouldn't. But ask yourself when you've heard a Democrat say they're actually going to take guns away from anyone. The Democrats are very clear about this. Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, we don't want to actually take your guns. The Republicans say they're going to, but the Democrats never actually propose taking people's guns away because they know that puts them on the wrong side of a cultural issue, particularly for large swatches of America that for some reason get an awful lot of electoral votes. Why is North Dakota a state? Why are either of the Dakota state? Let's squeeze all of them together. More people live on Staten Island than live in North Dakota. Should Staten Island be a state? Probably. Yeah, let's just make Staten Island a state instead. That's a better idea. We're moving on. Right now, the Congress is proposing two laws. One, that would make it possible to make those bump stocks, those things that allowed Stephen Paddock to modify his weapons to fire even faster, illegal, and another one to make it easier to buy silencers. The NRA opposes one of these laws and supports the other. You can guess at home. But the bump stock issue is a major one. The NRA even opposes that. The NRA opposes the purchase of things that allow people to turn normal rifles into essentially automatic weapons because they are absolutist, because their members demand that they be absolutist in the support of what they consider the most valuable of our civil rights, the right to own a gun, the right that protects all the rest, because when the government eventually comes for you, if you don't have a gun, you lose. Which, of course, brings me to the final outrage of the week, which is, of course, that the NRA essentially admits in their mission statement that they are preparing people for a war against the United States government. That's troubling. 
But yeah, let's get rid of the Second Amendment. Let's take a whole bunch of people's guns away. Let's treat guns like we treat cars and force people to get licenses and buy insurance and make them incredibly expensive. I can go and rent one at a rifle range every once in a while, just like I do a car. And then they can, you know, control what I do with it, where I do with it, and put a little chip in it that tracks me at all times. People shouldn't own that many guns. They shouldn't own most guns. And I think there's a decent chance of that happening right after hell freezes over. Is that a cliche joke? Yeah, sure, but I've had a lot of beer. And it really is getting better as the podcast goes on. Podcast? That's a funny word. Hmm. Good news! Let's talk about good news. <laughs> Senator Bob Corker, a Republican from the great state of Tennessee, announced he was retiring last week and then proceeded to get into a verbal slap fight with the President of the United States of America, referring to the White House as a, quote, adult daycare center. That's amazing. Bob Corker has started saying publicly what apparently a lot of Senate Republicans have been saying privately, that Donald Trump might be a threat to the national security of the United States of America. He's saying it loud, he's saying it proud, he's saying the only things separating the United States of America from utter chaos are Rex Tillerson, James Mattis, and General Kelly. This is, of course, accurate. Donald Trump is unhinged most of the time. He doesn't pay attention to what's going on, and he responds with an itchy trigger finger. The fact that someone called Mad Dog has a cooler head than him is appalling. But hey, Mad Dog Mattis is apparently protecting this country from the chaos that is Donald Trump. Donald Trump, of course, did not like these statements, did not like all of the things Corker was suddenly saying now that he doesn't have to worry about re-election, started attacking him, and that's when Corker responded that Donald Trump is in an adult daycare center. The good news is that Corker's statements are apparently throwing the entire Congress into chaos and is making Donald Trump fight his own party more and more. Corker has insisted that he's not on board with the president's new tax plan or with the modifications to more health care bills, meaning that Corker has become, in essence, a free radical, at least until his time in office is up in 2018. Uh, in that time, I expect Bob Corker to be a hell of a lot of fun for all of us. Well, let's move on to our final segment, Way to Look Smart This Week. This week, I'd like you all to focus on the Supreme Court. I know it's a group we don't talk about a lot here, uh, although it is the major reason that religious conservatives decided that they needed to get on board with Donald Trump, Gorsuch and all. This is a pretty big term for the Supreme Court. They'll be dealing with the president's travel ban and whether or not it is constitutionally justified. They'll be dealing with immigration-related cases, including wrongful deportation. But for my money, the biggest one is about voting rights and gerrymandering. This deals with the Wisconsin state legislature's efforts to gerrymander themselves, in essence, a permanent Republican majority, regardless of how people actually vote, cramming and packing and cracking votes in order to draw districts where you win because you control who votes for you, rather than deciding, well, I need to respond to the people's will. If the Supreme Court rules against partisan gerrymandering, saying that drawing districts specifically to disenfranchise people of one political party or the other is wrong, it's going to have enormous impact on the next set of congressional redistrictings. This could put the Democrats in a position to actually take control of Congress. As I've mentioned before, the Democrats keep winning more votes than the Republicans for Congress, but keep winning less seats because the Democrats are, well, badly distributed. 
They're easily packed into small districts because the majority of Democrats live in tightly packed urban areas, allowing Republicans to, well, gerrymander them out of a position of power. This isn't a partisan issue. This is an issue of democracy. Frankly, we need to move to a system that rewards all voters, no matter who they vote for, but we're not going to get that anytime soon. So this would be a step in the right direction. Justice Kennedy... Anthony Kennedy is, of course, the one to watch on this. If Kennedy decides to vote with the conservative bloc, redistricting will become more partisan than it has ever been before. If he decides with liberal bloc, it might actually become significantly less partisan. Let us watch with waiting anticipation. Well, golly, that's going to do it for us here at Republican in Exile. Special thanks to my producer, Jonathan, and to ACAST. Remember ACAST for all your podcasting needs. ACAST, making good stories great. If you'd like to contact us, we're riepodcast at gmail, riepodcast on Twitter, and Republican in Exile on Facebook. Go ahead, send me your questions, your comments, your concerns, your queries, your insane ranting about how the Second Amendment really is a wonderful thing and should always be kept and just preserved and hugged close like a cuddly teddy bear because it makes you feel oh so safe at night i will respond by telling you you are wrong and then shouting you down on my podcast thank you to listener kate for asking us all about the nra's history kate hopefully i answered your question if not well send me a follow-up and i'll try and explain how the nra is deviously effective at everything that they do if you would like to hear me be devious about something slightly different, I'm on this week's episode of Hailing Frequencies, a next-generation podcast. We're talking about an episode where Data, the robot, dresses up like Sherlock Holmes and battles a hologram version of Professor Moriarty. It's it's a lot of fun. Really. Anyway, in this next week, uh, my only advice I can give you is, you know, try not to die. 